period between the Exodus and monarchy. The entire book of Judges has to do with 400 years of Israel's history which link the era of Moses and Joshua with the setting up of the kingdom. And you can say, this period is an era of testing in the history of the Old Testament church. The people of God had received the law at Mount Sinai. They had heard the repetition of the law just before the entrance in the promised land. And in addition, they have a rich history. All facts and persons which will stimulate God's people to be obedient to God's will. And now in this period, the Lord puts Israel to the test. Will the people of God act according to the law? Will they act in obedience they owe to God? Will they observe the promise to serve the Lord? And for that reason, the Lord, to a certain extent, leaves his people to themselves. Moses and Joshua have passed away. However, the Lord does not fill this vacancy. He gave no other leaders and guide to the people of Israel. In the era of the judges, you will find no authority who can force God's people to serve the Lord. There is no king in Israel. Everything was dependent on the question whether the people of God would serve the Lord according to his law readily and cheerfully. Were they willing to accept the Lord as their king? Israel had left its childhood behind and had become a young gentleman, so to speak. And to test him, the father gave him some extent of freedom. He took away his servants, Moses and Joshua, who had guided the child. And now Israel has the opportunity to show their love and obedience. They have the possibility to show that they truly have the spirit of the law in their hearts. So that they are strong to listen to the Lord as their heavenly king. And that they are not in need of a king here on earth. And it has to become clear in this period of the history of Israel whether this child will be and act like a son to whom the father can give the inheritance. And we know Israel failed the test. This is the brief contents of the book of Judges. In the history of Israel, it goes from bad to worse. There is a downward spiral in the book. Through the accumulation of their own sin, it becomes clear that God's people can't deliver themselves and can't defend and preserve themselves in the redemption obtained for them. And in chapter 1, we hear about the beginning of this sinful development. However, there is yet no talk of idolatry. But the door has been opened. 
Because the people of Canaan with their own cult are spared. The altars of the Canaanites remain and their idolatry holds great attraction for the people of God. There is less required to give in than to serve the idols of Canaan. But to understand the developments, the author has to go back in the history for a while. When Joshua was still alive, the people served the Lord. They followed Joshua's lead. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. But Joshua died, as verse 8 reminds us. And shortly after, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Then, abruptly, in the middle of verse 10, we meet the second generation. And with them, the situation entirely changes. For what is said about this generation? They did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And this is not a reference to intellectual ignorance. They were not uninformed of the events of the Exodus and of the conquest. They had a great deal of information about the Lord. Many of them had even witnessed through their children's eyes the crossing of the Jordan and the fall of Jericho. And what they had not seen with their eyes, they had heard with their ears. It was not facts they lacked. They knew about the Lord. They knew about his deeds. But they did not know him. That means they did not acknowledge him. They had become complacent about the living God. They had forgotten how to walk in fellowship with God. Instead of being filled with wonder that God had reached into Egypt and had delivered his people from the hand of Pharaoh, instead of being moved to praise God when they heard the history of Mount Sinai or Gilgal or Jericho or the Canaanite contest, they simply joined with boredom. Ah, we have heard that all before. And it's all the same. And here we come to the heart of the problem of the second and third generation. And whether we like it or not, it is a problem which is very much part of our experiences as well. It operates on a personal level. You see it on family level as well. We also have to face it on church level as we begin to leave our first love for the Lord. For what happened? First of all, the Israelites are satisfied with the status quo. And what does that mean? Through Joshua, God gave orders to each of the tribes to take their territory from the Canaanites. But after Joshua, after his death, the people of Israel said, Why bother? We have all the land. We have all what we need. 
And those Canaanites are not too bad. We can get along with them. God had given them a command to move out and take the land, but they refused to move out in faith. They were content and comfortable with the existing situation. And there is still another thing. The Israelites took God's blessings for granted, and they did not acknowledge him. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 to 12, God gave a warning to his people that still speaks to us today. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land with his, that he swore to your fathers, to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then take care lest you forget the Lord. And the Lord considered his message so important that he, Moses reinforces it in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 to 18. For the danger is there that we accept the blessing of God as a normal part of our lives. So the Israelites looked at the land they possessed and said, look at what we did. And instead of giving God thanks, they became man-centered in their view of life. And most importantly, the Israelites neglected the word of God. What was central in Joshua's life is marginal in Judges. The people possessed the word of God, but they chose to ignore it. Ritually, they did many of the things the law required, but their obedience was outward only. Well, when you forget the word of God, you are in danger of forsaking the God of that word. It's explained why Israel turned to the vile and vicious worship of Baal and Estoreth. They forfeited what the Lord had promised. When they went out to fight their enemies, Israel was defeated because the Lord was not with them anymore. Imagine a woman who has an outstanding academic career that promises her a brilliant future. She meets a young man who wants to become a doctor. And she falls deeply in love with him. They decided to marry and she gives up her personal hopes and dreams to put him through the medical schools. Year after year, she worked unselfishly at a very menial job and puts up with all the frustrations and inconveniences of his schedule. And finally, he finishes all his training and speciality. On that glad day, 
He tells her that he is leaving her. He has found someone else. It is not hard to realize why that woman would feel used and abused. To take all the gifts of love, then to turn around and despise that love to take up with a cheap substitute. It is the most devastating insult possible. And yet, that is exactly what Israel did with the grace of God. They chose the cheap, immoral gods of Canaan and rejected the eternal God of love. And that is why we read what we do in verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. In his judgment, the Lord punishes the sin of his people. And you have to realize that is not the pity anger of hurt feelings, but the holy anger of the righteous God against sin. It is the revulsion of a perfect God against the sinful rebellion of his people. For God and evil cannot coexist. And it becomes more and more clear that God's people could not hold his law. For they repeatedly sinned against the Lord. It even goes from bad to worse. But when they turned away from God, they inevitably condemned themselves to defeat and bondage. They were plundered. They were enslaved. They were oppressed. And probably when they first began to get involved with the Canaanite sin, they said, this is liberating. We are not under the old laws of Moses anymore. But that false freedom led them straight into slavery. By the works of the Lord, no one will be justified. In addition to external oppression, they were afflicted with inner decay. Sin produces servitude. That is the characteristic of the time of the judges. And it becomes more and more evident that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. As the Apostle Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and doeth them. However, in his judgment, the judge of heaven and earth punished the sin of his people. Good Friday. The blessing of Abram comes upon the Gentiles, upon you, in Christ Jesus. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. He became a curse for you. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And therefore... You are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The best medicine against that second and third generation syndrome in your life is Golgotha. And this brings us to the second aspect. An old man was traveling on an ocean liner... And then a huge storm blew up without warning. 
One woman lost her balance and fell overboard. People stood frozen with horror. And suddenly a man plunged into the waves. He grabbed the woman and he held her until a rescue boat came. And when they were pulled out, everyone was astonished and embarrassed to see that the hero was the oldest man on the boat, the man in his 80s. And that evening they held a party to honor that man. And when they called on him to make a speech, the old man rose slowly. He looked around at the people and he said, I would like to know just one thing. There was an embarrassing, embarrassed silence. One thing. Who pushed me? Well, sometimes that is the only way we start moving. And the Lord brings this into practice to push his people out of their apathy. It is important to recognize that God did not leave the second generation, the generation after Joshua and his contemporaries. He did not leave them to live in their apathy. His strategy for pushing his children forward is spelled out in the verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. The unconquered nation of the Canaanites remained to test Israel by them. It was only in order that the generation of the people of Israel might know war to teach war to those who had not known it before. No, God was not interested in giving Israel some kind of technical instruction in military strategy. He will teach them war. God desired that his people know how to trust him in the battle. God left the Canaanites in the promised land as thorns in the side of Israel and their gods as snares to Israel. And time and again the Lord puts his children to the test to know what is in their heart. A hard judgment of God. Had all gone when? Well, the educational, the testing period would have been covered just by the period of Moses and Joshua. Moses would have begun it. Joshua would have comp completed it. And then the testing would have been followed by fruition. God's people would have entered the rest of the promised land. But now we hear that the probation is followed by another probation. And every time the people of Israel failed the test, God's people continued to be on probation. For the Lord had said, I swore in my anger that they should not enter my rest. And therefore this period, the period of the law, the period of the judges too, is your guardian, says Paul. Your guardian to Christ. Through the law you receive a push in your back to trust the Lord and to live in faith. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. 
And therefore Paul says, I'll teach you war. Oh foolish Galatians. Oh you foolish church people. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Who hindered you from obeying truth of truth? Awake from your apathy and put on the whole armor of God and walk in the spirit. Then you shall not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the weakness of the flesh entices you into the test. But in those tests, we know that we are not tested beyond what we are able. But with the test, the Lord will also make the way of escape, that we may be able to pass the test. For we have a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for, for the sin of his people. For in that he himself had suffered, being tested, he is able to aid those who are put to the test. And therefore the Lord in his judgment, he grants also the victory. In our text we hear that there will be a kind of pattern of events during the time of the judges. We will hear about disobedience of the people of God. Then the Lord will come with his discipline. Then there will be the despair of the people of Israel. And again and again they call upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord will give deliverance. And we hear this pattern in the rest of the book seven times. Every time again it is the same. Disobedience, discipline, despair, deliverance. And with these four words we can summarize the history of the judges. Time and again God delivered his people by raising up judges who defeated the enemies and who set Israel free. The judges led the people against the enemy. Then they provided justice and leadership. They settled disputes. And God also intended them to be spiritual leaders within the nation. God raised them up as proof of his love and kindness and long-suffering. And God was with them. God empowered them to carry out the task he gave them. And God worked through the judges. As long as the individual judge was alive, God brought freedom and victory to his people. And we may ask ourselves the question, why did God raise up the judges? It would have been much easier to destroy his people with their record of consistent failure. But God is not a man. He does not break his covenant. Therefore, he doesn't desert his people. But as the people experience and rightly deserve judgment, we read, the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. 
What a beautiful insight into the heart of God. His people sin against him. They rebel. They reject him. They spurn his love. And there is no happy ending of this review and also not of the book of Judges. For the Judges died, but God's people did not learn their lesson. Whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down before them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And the end of our text gives as conclusion, so the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughter they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. An accumulation of sin and evil. And if God had said this enough, justice would have no complaint. However, the book of Judges is full of the grace of God. For he raises up one judge after another. And the Apostle Paul refers to this history when he preached in the synagogue of Antioch in Pisidia. Listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted harp he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness... And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he's promised, a judge. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead to be our judge. Through this man is preached to you for the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Chapter 13 of Acts. In his judgment, the Lord gives his judge. And through his judgment, he grants the victory. For there is no judgment, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let us then lay aside the apathy and sin of our ancestors, and not fall into the trap of the second or third generation syndrome. But let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, our judge, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For in this judge, you will receive the victory. Amen. Thank and pray the Lord. Almighty and holy God and Father in our Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared your throne in heaven.
and it is a throne of glory. Before you the seraphims cover their faces, and it is in compassion to us that you cover the face of your throne and spread a cloud over it. For who can exist before your countenance, and who is worthy to be in your presence? You are the Holy One, exalted in holiness. You do whatever your pleases, and everything is in your hand. For out of you, and through you, and to you, are all things. To you be glory forever. You have ordained our Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest and mediator. And he has revealed your will concerning our redemption. He rules on your behalf these worlds. For he ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church. Through whom you govern all things. And we believe that all things come out of your hand. And that in this world nothing happens without your direction. And yes, we are thankful that it was possible to be in church, to hear the gospel. And we admit that we are inclined to fall in the same trap as your children did after they came into the promised land. And for us it is even worse. Because we have a king, the eternal king, who is seated at your right hand. Help us then not to be deceived by the second or third generation syndrome and to be attracted by the lies and deceptions of the idols of our culture. Help us to lay aside every weight and sin and help us to run with endurance the race which you have given us. Looking unto our Savior, Jesus Christ only. We give you thanks that you reveal yourself to us in our Lord Jesus Christ, born to bring everlasting life to your people, born to bring healing and wholeness to your children. We give you thanks for your providential care in good days and bad, in prosperity and difficult situations. We thank you for your great goodness to us who are wholly undeserving and unworthy. And we, bless, we bring you thanks especially for those whom you have blessed with length of days. In our, our congregation, in our wider community, the residents of Fairhaven. During the past week, the Lord took himself, our sister Maria Slope, home to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder that our brother and sister Wayne and Sandra Dingle and brother and sister Martin and Christy Visser, their children and other relatives are saddened by the loss of their beloved mother, grand and great-grandmother. Give that they are all comforted with the words of her favorite psalm, that it was her desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of her life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And thankfully we may confess that your children will see your goodness in the land of the living. Strengthen them when they have to prepare themselves for the funeral. 
And we pray you that you will continue to bless the aged in our communion and everywhere. That they experience the discomfort and weakness which are common to the elderly. Give strength and patience. Spare them. Can it be your will, pain and suffering? Bless them spiritually. Give them the joy of sweet communion with you. Be with our bond of churches and our sister churches. Give unity and peace in your churches that everything is done according to your will. Be with the vacant churches in our midst. Bless their work in calling a minister so your word can proclaim that the vacant churches too will be regularly fed with your words. Bless our own country. Give a listening ear to the government for your word for the upbuilding of our country. Also that we as countries show a Christian and compassionate attitude to those who are true refugees and persecuted in their own country. And when we think about countries like China, where your people are persecuted, give that our government takes a stand also to protect your children and that our relationship with those countries is not only about financial gain, but also to protect those who are vulnerable and persecuted. We would ask you, Father, that those who have never heard the gospel or have heard and not received Christ might be given mercy, that your spirit may sp might speak to their hearts. Bless the work of mission in lay, the work of evan evangelism in our own situation. Give that candidate, Brother Tim Sly and his wife, can come with a considerate decision in the call extended to them that the work in PNG may continue without any hindrance. Give that your house may become full. We are thankful for the means you have to we have to instruct our children in the doctrine of our and their salvation. We are thankful for the reformed education for our children. Bless the efforts of, at school of students and teachers during the new term and let the work be for the honor of your holy name. You have blessed us all in many ways. Enable us all in our respective calling to live according to your will and to use the talents you have given to us to serve you in your kingdom as men, husbands, fathers in our family, church, in their professional jobs, as women, wives and mothers in our families and church. We ask this of you because you having power over all things and you are both willing and able to give us all that is good, that your name should receive all glory forever and ever. Give also that we may accept each other, forgive each other, and might fight against sins and shortcomings. Lord, you have assured us that whatever we ask you in Christ's name, you will give it. Therefore, we ask all these things in that powerful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the name which is above every name. You, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. You have now the opportunity to set your gifts apart 
And after that, we will sing as our closing song, Psalm 98, verse 3 and 4.
Lift up your hearts unto God, receive the blessing of the Lord, and depart in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.